0: Our world is falling apart. It's a mass shooting. It seems like every other week, now, we're being ripped apart by uh, political violence and uh, racism and uh, sexual harassment. Now in the news, somebody different every day. Or this fall, earlier this fall, it was uh, it was the hurricanes and the wildfires in our environment, just wreaking havoc on our world. And it's not just here in the United States, but civil war in Syria and terrorist attacks or threats of them everywhere, as well as threats of nuclear war. Do you guys read the news? It's like disturbing stuff. The economy might be booming at times, but it's like there's always a disaster or catastrophe that's, that's looming before us. A friend of mine recently sent me a blog post by uh, Eric Metaxas, who's this Christian author and radio guy, and he acknowledges, he said, there's lots of reasons for us to be grieving and lots of things to be praying about in our broken world, but he argues that if we believe that our world is going to heck in a handbasket, I said, heck, we maybe need a reality check. He actually cites a Swedish researcher named Mark Norberg, who claims that our world is objectively better now than it ever has been, which leads me to ask, just what are they smoking in Sweden? <laughs> Norberg actually looked at nine different categories: poverty, violence, the state of the environment, freedom, equality, the conditions of childhood, food sanitation and life expectancy. And he concluded that in nearly every one of these categories, we have seen vast improvements in the last 50 years. Vast improvements in every one of these categories. Extreme poverty, as defined by the United Nations, is at an all-time low. It's fallen below 10%. And yet if you ask Americans, 9 out of 10 will tell you that it hasn't changed at all, or in fact, it's gotten worse. The uh, child mortality is also at a record low. 50% fewer kids under the age of 5 died a day than did 30 years ago. 300,000 people a day, every day, gain access to electricity around the world. Life expectancy in the last 100 years has gone from 31 to 71, an increase of 40 years. And violent crime rates in the United States are the lowest they've been in 50 years. Two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Nicholas Kristof called 2016 the, the best year, the best year in the history of humanity. Yet only 6% of Americans believe our world is becoming a better place to live. 6%. Why is it that we have such a hard time believing this is accurate? Or, or, or even not thinking that it's outrageous? Fact is, we hear we rarely hear about this abundance of good things that are, that are happening in our world. Instead, the theme of our day is scarcity. And alarm and panic come along with that theme. Right? Rarely do we see or hear about these good things that are happening in the world. Nobody ever reports about the planes that are taking off and landing safely every single day. Right? Instead, it's this abundance of all of these bad things, and that's what creates the reality that we think we live in. The fact of the matter is, is that Mark Nor- or Norberg says that we actually believe that we'd like to have something to complain about. And we like to have somebody to blame for the things that are going wrong in our world. In fact, we have ourselves to blame, he said, for all of this media-induced rage that we're addicted to. The media just feeds us what we want. We're hungry for this. so It just plays out over and over, and our media and creates this reality. One world, two completely opposing mindsets. One leads to fear and insecurity and self-centeredness. And the other leads to courage and generosity, anticipation. Two completely different outcomes. One of scarcity, one of abundance. Which one describes you this morning? When you woke up this morning, were you like thinking about all the abundance of good things that you were going to experience in this day? Or the abundance that God was inviting you into to share with others? Or did you immediately slip into survival mode? Did you even think about the day ahead at all? What do you think God wants for you? Paul, one of Jesus' earliest followers, actually wrote some encouraging words that apply to us today, shortly after Jesus died. He said this to us. He said, In view of God's mercy... This has become the the theme verse for this series we're in, Change Your Mind. And it's about more than just uh, changing our perspective or seeing things in a new way. This is about fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given to us as a church family to bless a broken world by becoming a living sacrifice. Paul says this is what true worship looks like. Jesus said his father is looking for worshipers, for true worshipers, and Paul says true worshipers become living sacrifice, and they do it by taking a pause, hitting the pause button, remembering the mercy that God has shown to us by sending his son to be a sacrifice, to be able to restore our relationship that was broken by sin, and that when we allow this this truth of God's unconditional love and acceptance of us to to sink into our minds, it actually begins to renew them and change the way we think, change the way we act, change the way we interact. It creates new patterns in our world and our lives become transformed in such a way that God's good, pleasing, and perfect will can be made known through us to the broken world around us. As Alice prayed, the Bible puts a great deal of emphasis on right thinking. It affects the way we live in nearly every area. It affects all of the decisions we make and how we raise our kids, how we spend our money or our time. God wants to transform us, to help us become more like Jesus, more full of life to share with those around us. And one of the ways I believe that God wants to change us is to move us from a mindset of the scarcity of our resources to the abundance of His. Even before I started preparing this teaching, I was struck this summer by how often and how easy it is for me to slip into a mindset of scarcity. Like there's never enough time. It's like, I just don't have enough time. And so that affects who I will spend my time with during the day or what I will spend my time doing during the day or uh, I don't have enough knowledge about something or, or enough information or I don't have enough talent to do something and so I'll let some opportunity slide by. Or I don't have enough money, which with two kids in college is just true, right? It's just, there's not enough money, right? But how often do I let this mindset of scarcity just rob me of peace or of joy or of some opportunity to learn something or to grow in some way or experience life a new way or to help somebody else experience life in a new way. See, a scarcity mindset focuses on what I don't have. It believes that the good stuff is rare and it's really hard to find and, and when you find it, it's hard to hold on to. And so you gotta, you gotta get it now and you gotta hold on to it and keep it. There's only so much pie to go around. Like, if you didn't order your tri-pie yet for Thanksgiving, you're out of luck. They're gone, right? And if somebody gets a piece of that, you know, your uncle takes a piece of it, there's less for you. There's just not enough pie. So if you get a piece, you're going to hold on to that, and you're going to keep it for yourself and save that thing. This kind of thinking makes it very difficult for us to share with others. It makes it difficult to take risks. It creates jealousy and resentment when others are successful. Hawkeye fans, admit it. It's killing you to see the High have this great season. This is the Hawkeye State. So much scarcity down in Iowa City. <laughs> On an individual and social level, scarcity creates fear and mistrust and suspicion. And so instead of like welcoming outsiders, we, we build walls because we're afraid that the people might come in and take what belongs to us. Instead of seeing possibilities... We see threats or we see danger. We resist change or, or sacrifice goals in order to protect the resources that we have. I was in Chicago this summer. I walked down by the lake with my son Eli. And uh, it was this beautiful day. And there were all these beautiful boats in the harbor down there. And there were beautiful people out on these boats. And they had these beautiful bathing suits and beautiful bodies. And I just felt this ugliness kind of come over me. Right? It's like this judgment of them, like, look at all those rich people. They don't even see the rest of us poor folks on the street as if I'm a poor folk on the street, you know. But it's like they don't even care that we don't have the money to do that kind of lifestyle. It's like, what are they thinking as if I know them at all, right? This is the scarcity mindset at work. It's a natural default for so many of us. It starts early in childhood. Sometimes you might, maybe you went to your to your mom or your dad, and you just needed a bit of patience, or you needed some some uh, grace, or some approval, or some love, or mercy from them. Instead, your mom looked at you and said, "Why can't you be more like your sister?" And right then and there, you knew it's like there was only so much of that approval, or of that patience, or that that mercy to go around, and your sister had gotten the most of it. Our educational system reinforces this. There's bell curve. Only so many people can get the A's and then B's. There's a lot of people who get the C's and then the D's and the F's. And then, you know, your future depends on this. What job you get, what job you don't get. Your social values tied to that. The sporting world. There's only one winner. Packer fans, I hate to tell you, <laughs> not you this year. Uh, Our jobs, you know, all of a sudden a job gets posted at work and everybody's competing for that new job and so they're going behind closed doors and they're forming alliances and they refuse to share information or knowledge with the people they're competing with because, you know, Lord forbid somebody else get that job and drive the company forward. No, this is the only time that this kind of job is going to be available. And the media, right, this is what advertisers do. They, They tell us and remind us what we don't have and create a need for these things. It's all over. The scarcity mindset is buried so deep within us and so deep in our culture, we don't even realize how it's negatively impacting the way we think, the way we act, the way we interact with others. But scarcity is not to be the mindset of followers of Jesus. We aren't supposed to look at life from a purely physical, material viewpoint. Paul said, don't conform to the... Patterns of this world. And Jesus wants to send his spirit to renew our minds and give us a mindset focused on his abundance. You see this theme actually throughout the Bible. You can read stories about this throughout the Bible. Jesus actually taught this to his disciples. And I think one of the most inspiring stories of Jesus teaching this idea and this belief is in his miraculous feeding of the 5,000. In his biography about Jesus, Matthew tells us this story. And he tells us that Jesus had actually just gotten word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed in prison. And so Jesus tries to get off by himself. He looks for a private, remote place where he can go and he can grieve this loss. And the crowds of people find out that Jesus is where he's going. And so they follow him. And they say there's 5,000 men and and then there are plus women and children. So it's a huge crowd. And they go and they find Jesus. Jesus, instead of like, running away and finding somewhere else, spends the entire day moved by compassion to heal the sick people in their crowd. Jesus had an abundance of compassion. And if you're sick and you're hurting, or you're facing a surgery, know that Jesus has compassion for you. And then Matthew goes on and he tells us this. He says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. In other words, we barely have enough food for ourselves, Jesus. You want us to to share it with them? Everywhere the disciples look in this story, they see scarcity. Do you notice this? I mean, they start by saying, you know, there's not very many options for food. This is a remote place. It's like, you know, the closest Panera is miles away, Jesus. Not only that, but it's getting late, so like, they're closing down. There just aren't any options to buy food. And we certainly don't have enough. We've only got a couple fish and a few pieces of bread. He goes, what do you really want us to do? It's been a long day. Jesus What do you want us to do? Jesus said, bring them to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. Of broken pieces that were left over. The disciples bring what little they have to Jesus. They put it in his hands and he turns their scarcity into abundance. Shared it with, experts say, as many as 10,000 people in that crowd. And there's more leftovers than what they had food to begin with. A basketful for each one of the disciples. Jesus wants his followers to know that when they face scarcity, he has an abundance of resources they know nothing about. He has solutions outside of their reality. So what about you this morning? What are you lacking? What do you feel is scarce in your life right now? Maybe it's maybe it's patience or, or peace as you think about uh, the relatives that are coming to spend some time with you or that you're going to spend time with and it's like that uncle of yours or that aunt of yours. It's like, I just don't have the patience, I don't think, to deal with that person this week. What about uh, maybe some of you are carrying some debt and you're just wondering how you're going to get out of debt. Or maybe you've been hurt some by someone and you just don't have enough mercy right now to, to forgive that person. Maybe it's courage. Do you have enough courage to take that risk, that opportunity that's been placed in front of you? Jesus asked you this morning, will you you bring your scarcity to me? Will you put it in my hands? And let me show you that the leftovers in my kingdom are more abundant than the scarcity in your world. Jesus wants to move us from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. How we see the world will affect how we live. And we will either become protective and insecure and fearful, and so we will run from the world and we will hide our resources away. or We'll become courageous and generous and trust Jesus and share our resources with the broken world around us. Which mindset describes you? 12 years ago my I was uh making a generous salary uh working for another company here in town and my wife and I just bought a new house a bigger house which meant a bigger mortgage and I was offered the college ministry position here at Orchard Hill Church and it was really really appealing to me to to, to take this job as a job I really was excited about and then I found out what I was gonna get paid <laughs> and I was like uh, how do we make that work and uh I went out for a run to talk to God about this. And I still have the journal entry from uh, when I got back from that run because uh, I had to write down what I felt like God had shared with me. Like all over this journal entry is like my mindset of scarcity and then God's voice of abundance speaking to me. There was a time I'm running down the bike trail. And I'm thinking about, okay, God, I'm going to cut my salary by this much. We just got this house. We have this mortgage. How is this going to work? How are we going to be able to pay bills? And as I'm running, I, I run by this field of wildflowers. It's just this huge field in full bloom. And it's just beautiful. Butterflies flying around, hummingbirds, all this. And it's like God whispered. "Now." Do you remember that story you learned in the Bible about Solomon, who's the richest man who ever lived? And then Jesus came along and he said, even Solomon in all of his beautiful clothes wasn't clothed as beautiful as the flowers in this field. Yeah? Well, don't you think I can't take care of you even better than this field? Okay, okay, I see what you're saying, God, you know. And then I'm running a little bit farther. I'm like, but what about my kids? Like, are my kids going to become PKs, like, you know, the the bad PKs, the pastor kids, you know? It's like, I don't know. And and, and am I going to lose out on time with my kids by sacrificing too much time to spend in the ministry? What's that going to look like? And I'm lost in this thought when all of a sudden the the, the the Canadian geese are out and they just had like all these baby goslings and these two monster geese just come racing at me, hissing at me and chase me off the trail. They were scary, all right? They were big. And I don't do birds. So I'm off the path. And just then God's like, you know, if these two geese know how to take care of their young, don't you think I can take care of your young as well? It's like everywhere I turned, God was just encouraging me to focus on his abundance and let go of my scarcity. I got home and I made the call. I said, yes, I'm in. And I'm so thankful I did. I hope that others have been blessed Through that, but I know how much I have been blessed by saying yes to Jesus. What about you? Where is Jesus calling you to focus on His abundance? He wants to change your mind from scarcity to a mindset of abundance for your sake, but also for the sake of others around you. So how do we partner with Him in this movement from scarcity to abundance? First, I want to just say this is very difficult. In fact, new research on the brain's ability to to make this movement, especially for people who have experienced very real-life scarcity, makes this a very long, hard movement. And so you will need to give yourself lots of grace. and You'll need to give yourself the same grace that Jesus extends to you. And that said, I just want to offer three suggestions. There's loads of things that you can do. I want to offer just three this morning. And the first thing we see right in this story, and that's to give to God and to give to others. Share what you have with God. Put it in His hands. Let Him multiply it to become a blessing for others, and it will also be a blessing for you. I noticed my oldest son, Louis, uh, last spring, was um, starting to get a little anxious about his financial situation. He was heading into his senior year of college, despite the fact, of course, that he had more money in his savings than his mother or I did. He was acting kind of cheap. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And uh, so we were having this conversation about it. And um, I asked him, well, are you like giving money away? Are you investing in anything? Are you sharing your resources with anybody? And I told him, you need to start sharing. Maybe you need to write a check to the church or, or to the ministry or, or give some to somebody in need. Because generosity has a way of bringing freedom and joy. Jesus actually promised this. He says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You cannot out give God. Generosity increases resources in ways that I frankly just don't understand all the time. I've asked for one raise in my lifetime. It sat on my boss's desk for months. We were working uh, in another ministry. We were trying to raise money for another ministry here in town. And uh, we'd been challenged to uh, give a sacrificial gift because that's something leaders do. They give first before they ask others to give. So my wife and I were trapped in our scarcity mindset. What can we afford? It's like, well, that kind of defeats the purpose of a sacrificial gift if you're giving what you can afford. And so we were working through all this. Finally, we came up with a dollar amount. And we, we wrote a check to this ministry. The very next day, I went in to work, and my boss apologized and said, hey, that that thing got buried under my desk, your request for a raise, but I got it turned in last week, he hands me a piece of paper, he said, it went through, here's your raise, and I looked at that piece of paper, and it was to the dollar, ten times greater than the amount that we had written a check for. Some of you have heard of tithing and you're giving 10%. This is the reverse of tithing. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God always pours out financial resources when you give financially. This isn't a prosperity kind of a gospel, right? Sometimes people give generously and they face financial hardship and testing right after that. But God always gives some kind of blessing when we give to Him. We have to look for it. My son actually wrote a check to help other people go on a mission trip Uh, last spring and he came back from his mission experience his trip and he had just had this incredible experience of community that the family of god just coming together he was so encouraged and so fired up that's how he was blessed how it was how it was poured out pressed together shaken together and poured into his lap God always has a blessing for us. Some of you need to try this. Some of you maybe need to write a sacrificial check to the church. Or maybe you need to give some time to the church and just watch and see what Jesus does with the resources that you bring to him. And watch how he surprises you and how he blesses the people around you. Second, and this can help, I think, motivate other steps. And that is to do something that the disciples failed to do remarkably And that is to remember what God has done and is capable of doing. His disciples had followed Jesus around. They had seen Him do things and yet somehow they forgot what He was capable of. So I encourage you, if you feel anxiety, if you're nervous, if you're anxious, make a list of all the ways that God has provided for you in the last week or month or your lifetime. Make a list of of the gifts you've received, of the successes or the advantages that you've been given. Or make a list of the, of the lessons you've learned from disappointments and failures you've experienced. All of these are gifts from God. So remember them and give God thanks. Praise Him for His ability to provide for you. Focus on what you have and not on what you don't have. And if that's not helpful enough, read in the Bible these stories of God's amazing abundance. Let Him renew your mind, changing it from scarcity to abundance take the next step which is to practice anticipation you know he's provided for you in the past so anticipate he's going to keep providing for you in the future jesus anticipated the joy set before him and he endured the cross david anticipated god's help when he went to face goliath the giant and paul anticipated gain in death when you face a challenge Sometimes you can get anxious and nervous because you don't know what's on the other side of that challenge. And especially if you have faced failures or disappointments in past challenges or pain or loss, nothing chases us back to scarcity quicker. Sometimes we actually have physical manifestations of this. Our heart starts racing, our, our body might ache, our head aches. Maybe we're just worn out and exhausted, discouraged. A friend of mine uh, went and saw Nikki Pauli, who's another good friend of mine, one of the best counselors I know. And this uh, this friend who went to see Nikki was experiencing some of these physical manifestations, and Nikki just gave her the best encouragement you could offer. She said, instead of seeing these physical uh, manifestations of anxiety as as symptoms and signs of anxiety, reframe them see them as as signs of anticipation that god is going to do something as you move into this challenge that faces you that there's opportunity ahead so that's what anticipation does it empowers us to keep moving forward and to look for god's blessing even in the time of loss or time of disappointment or time of great challenge when you woke up this morning what was your mindset did you expect to join God in all of his abundance and to share that abundance with others? Can you see how God, how, how this could change, this change in mindset, this renewing of your mind could change your whole life, could change not just your day, but your entire life? And what about this? What was your mindset towards blessing our broken world when you woke up this morning? Did you expect to join God in that work? What will you do to ratchet up your sense of anticipation? I think the most effective way to cultivate a mindset of abundance within our church family is for each of us to individually commit to abundant thinking. We have an opportunity to do that. We're going to move into a time of communion. And so before I pray, I just ask those who are going to be serving communion to get in position. And then I'm going to pray and Alice is going to come up and lead us in communion. Will you pray with me? Father, this can be difficult for us. Uh, the fact is, is that um, sometimes we really face scarcity. And uh, our resources, like the disciples that night, are actually scarce. And we don't know where the next paycheck or where the next uh, meal is going to come from or where our kids are going to get clothes for school. Help us to trust, Lord, that you are the great provider. But sometimes, I think when we have more, we actually try to protect more. And we slide more towards scarcity thinking when we actually have more. Lord, break us free from those bonds that rob us of the joy you want us to experience. Lord, fill us with a reminder of your goodness, your generosity that we have been given so much that you want us to share with others. Whether it be our time, our talents, uh, our money, um, whatever that is, our friendship, our grace, our patience, or help us be generous sharers that bless our broken world.